WDBM East Lansing. This is East Lansing Insider, brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. In this show, we break down all of the news and happenings in the East Lansing community. And now, today's East Lansing Insider. Welcome to East Lansing Insider, brought to you by East Lansing Info. Today is Sunday, June 6, 2021, and I am Emily Joan Elliott, the Managing Editor of East Lansing Info. We're very excited to have this opportunity to offer listeners of Impact this new segment. Today I have with me Andrew Graham, who reports on city government and East Lansing High School sports. Do you want to give a quick hello, Andrew? Sure. Um, I'm Andrew Graham, as Emily said. I, I've been with Eli for full-time a little over a year since graduating college now, and um sports and government reporter, I guess, would be my sort of clearest title. Great. And I also have here with us Heather Brothers, who has been covering the study committee on an independent police oversight commission, as well as other stories for East Lansing Info. Heather, do you want to give a quick hello? Sure. Hi, I'm Heather. Uh, I've been with Eli since last September now. The time just has flown. (laughs) Um, And I've been covering the independent, um, the study commission set with forming an independent police oversight. And I do some other random things too. So yeah. (laughs) Great. Well, East Lansing info might be new to some of our listeners on impact today. So I wanted to explain about what East Lansing Info is, we're known colloquially to some as Eli. So we're a nonprofit news service funded by donors in our community. Um, as a nonprofit, we consider our mission to serve our community by providing them quality news that they might not otherwise receive. And we're hyper-local, focusing on East Lansing-specific news. We publish almost daily at eastlansinginfo.news. That's eastlansinginfo.news. We have dedicated coverage of city government and public schools. We cover every city council and school board meeting, as well as other public meetings, such as the Downtown Development Authority, Planning Commission, Commission on the Environment, when appropriate. We also have a very vibrant arts and culture section. We have Sarah Spahn as our lead arts and cultures reporter. She really killed it recently doing our Spend Locally series that highlighted local businesses within East Lansing. We also have Anne About Town, in which our public editor, Ann Nichols, recounts the different places around town that she's visited. Um, And on this arts and cultures note, We do want to let our listeners know that the East Lansing Farmers Market is starting today, Sunday, June 6th, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Valley Court Park in East Lansing. So stop on over and get some food. There are social distancing and public health measures in effect. We also at Eli do investigative reporting using the Freedom of Information Act, which you might know as FOIA. Um, It allows us to see documents that exist to promote transparency in government. Um, When local elections occur, such as for school board trustees or city council, we provide in-depth coverage on the voting process and the candidates. And on our homepage today, if you're to visit eastlansinginfo.news, you'll see other stories as well, such as 
an expungement clinic being run by the 54B District Court in East Lansing, a deeper look at the policing budget, um, an overview of what the Summer Solstice Jazz Festival will look like this summer, a discussion on what should be coming down the pipeline for Parks and Rec now that it's director Tim McCaffrey is retiring and other stories that might be of interest to you. But today we're going to focus a bit on policing in East Lansing because the study committee on an independent police oversight commission will present its findings and recommendations for what a permanent oversight commission might look like. So this means there was a group that came together to plan out what a permanent group would do. So this was kind of doing the legwork to establish something more permanent. This group will present at Tuesday city council meeting. That's on June 8th at 7 PM. Um, and in this episode, we'll also give a recap of how the end of the school year wrapped up for East Lansing public schools. Andrew, you recently covered a significant story related to ELPD, or the East Lansing Police Department. In December 2020, ELPD sent out a press release that included the name and picture of a man who had been arrested for criminal sexual conduct, but had not yet gone to trial or been found guilty. The man was also already in custody and not considered a threat to the community. But in early 2021, all charges against the man were dropped. Andrew, can you give us some more details on this story? Sure. So this first came to us as that press release, and we covered it as, you know, an assault happened and an arrest was made. And when it came back to us after the charges had been dropped in the form of a response to a FOIA request by our data analyst, Nathan Andrus, we got back a sustained internal complaint top sheet with some redactions and a six-page memo redacted that we then reported to be authored by Lisa Babcock, council member Lisa Babcock. And it basically asked for an investigation into the truthfulness of Sergeant Jeff Thomas's report regarding that incident. And the complaint was sustained. Um, We don't know what the punishment was at this point. Although Deputy Chief Steven Gonzalez said it's, um, I think, consistent with the progressive standard, i.e. it's progressing through whatever stage. So if it's a first offense, it's this punishment. And effectively, the, the long and short of it is, as far as we can tell, ELPD proceeded with these charges, sent this evidence to the prosecutor and released this press release. And then once the prosecutors were able to review a recording taken on the accused's phone, along with body camera footage and other evidence, the charges were dropped, which is really rare. So effectively, a a man was in in jail for three weeks facing charges that could have sent him to prison for life on the narrative of one police report that wasn't corroborated. And then this complaint turned out to be sustained when there was an internal investigation into the truthfulness of that report. So when you say this one report wasn't corroborated, what do you mean by that? Well, I should be clear that it's a specific instant or a specific portions were not corroborated. And with the charges that were being sought, criminal sexual conduct, misconduct, first degree, there has to be sexual intercourse. It is effectively, there's no criminal charge for rape per se in Michigan, but there is 
it's you will still obviously be charged with a crime for that, and that's criminal sexual conduct first degree. Only one narrative, and that was Thomas's narrative in the police report, included a mention of that. No other police report narrative from three other officers who responded mentions that. There was body camera footage, and there was a recording on the accused's phone. So it seems apparently they went with that one account versus the other apparent evidence. I, I can't assign motive. I can't say what internal deliberations happened. But what we know is only one police report contained that bit of evidence. And had it gone further, I you can presume that I, he would have taken the stand at trial because police reports get used in trials all the time. So it's, it's definitely a story that I'm glad I got to, to get a hold of. Right. So you also mentioned that not all of the evidence, such as the recordings, were initially turned over by ELP Day. Um, could you or Heather possibly explain how turning over evidence works in the state of Michigan? I know, Heather, this came up at the Independent Police Oversight Study Group. Yeah, we had um, <clears throat> the study committee had a presentation from the Ingham County Prosecutor's Office. And during that presentation, uh, the prosecutors, uh, Carol Seaman and Mike Chettleham, like pretty much said that they re- their office relies on ELPD to turn over any evidence they have to make their cases at the prosecutor's office. They don't do independent investigating on their own. So they rely on the police to say here, like, this is the evidence for this alleged crime. And then, you know, they take it from there. So I don't know what happened in this case, but. Yeah. What what I, what I do know for this case at at this point is that the phone was sent, the physical phone, I believe was sent to MSUPD for forensic extraction. Um, There were some jargony words in the report. But effectively, and that's not something that's uncommon for ELPD. They they work with MSUPD closely on a lot of stuff like that for the forensic lab work. And they also acquired a warrant. That was something the prosecutor's office told me. And so I don't know if they necessarily needed the warrant because I know the accused had told them to look at the recording. But I understand, and this is my very lay knowledge of the situation, why the police would want to get a warrant and go through the due process before they extracted something from someone's phone Mm -hmm. so that does explain some of the delay there's currently a bit of confusion or lack of clarity about who was sort of maybe dragging feet or not moving quickly or did the prosecutor come and get the video or was it supposed to be sent to them and i'm trying to figure out what exactly happened there but i don't know yet but there was there was a delay between the police getting knowing about the video they knew about it from when they made the arrest to them actually being able to see the video and then send it to prosecutors. Right. So kind of to sum it up between what Heather and Andrew said in Michigan, it's up to the police in many instances to turn over evidence and they don't have to turn over all of it. But Andrew's pointing out in this specific case, um, you the police might not just go through someone's phone without a warrant and getting the warrant and then having the forensic work done could also account for a delay. Um, so you also mentioned, Andrew, that council member Lisa Babcock called for an investigation. 
Um, can you talk a bit about what troubled Lisa Babcock about this case? So I'll I'll get into the story here because it has some quotes, but effectively her biggest concern and after talking with her about it was that there was a press release saying ELPD stopped this violent sexual assault and here is the, the alleged perpetrator and broadcasts that to com- the community via press release which I should note is not something that we normally get from ELPD. We might get a press release that they made an assault for an arrest for a sexual assault, but we would rarely get a photo or a name. We got both of those in this scenario. Babcock's issue came from that press release being sent out in a case where the charges then ended up being dropped because of a lack of evidence. And I believe her exact quote was that the press release branded a resident as a rapist condemned a resident as a rapist was part of her quote. And I totally get that because even though this this man is innocent as far as the criminal justice system is concerned, I'm not going to, I don't know that anything bad or good did or did not happen, but there are no criminal charges that he's facing. He is exonerated a free man, but this press release happened. People remember it. It will somehow, some way follow him when he, as far as the criminal justice system is concerned, did nothing wrong. And Babcock, understandably, wanted to understand how that happened and have some accountability and hopefully prevent it from happening again. Right. And we should also say that the attorney of the man in question, and we're not using his name um, because there's no charges pending against him currently, his lawyer described him as an American man of Arab descent. So was Babcock concerned about any racial or perhaps religious um, prejudices in this instance? Yeah, she specifically asked, there were six prongs or points of her complaint for investigation. And one of them was whether any bias relating to race, religion, ethnicity, gender, any any sort of bias played a role in the decision to issue the press release and include the photo and the name. Um, so that was a specific point of concern for her. And we don't know precisely what ELPD found to be sustained or what was you know, what of it all was sustained. We just know that the complaint itself was sustained. And I believe when we contacted Steve Gonzalez for comment. He said there was one policy violation relating to the media policy and another unrelated violation. So it was, they were understandably or unsurprisingly a little cagey about what exactly was found to have gone wrong. Right. So my understanding is that Lisa Babcock outlined six concerns And we know some of them are sustained, but we can't specify specifically which ones. Is that correct? Yeah, it's not like, oh, her second point about whether the media policy was violated was specifically, we just know one was a media violation, which could stem from probably two or three of her specific points. Um, So it wasn't like we heard, yeah, points three and six she made were were sustained and one, two 
four and five were not. It was just more, yes, we found two violations after initiating this investigation when she asked us to investigate these six things. Great. Well, thank you so much for that, Andrew. And for our listeners who are interested in finding out more, if you go to eastlansinginfo.news and search East Lansing Policing, you'll find Andrew's stories and others that deal with policing concerns in our city. Um, So I want to transition now to talking about the Independent Police Oversight Study Group, um, which Heather has been covering. So I'm going to give our listeners now, um, we're going to play a clip of the committee chair, Chuck Grigsby, and current council member Ron Bacon discussing the origins of the study committee and its work over the past year. This was discussed at their last meeting at the end of May. Have a listen. This week, one year ago, the murder of George Floyd's changed the world. Um, He cried out to the world, I can't breathe, 28 times until his death. Uh, That resulted uh, in demonstrations around the world, along with massive collective consciousness that gave us record numbers of voter registration, millions and millions of dollars uh, to community advocacy groups, and unprecedented demands of our leaders and politicians to fight for us and fight for reforms in police and ultimately our entire justice system. Here in East Lansing, one day after his death, George Floyd's death, our city council adopted the resolution for this study committee. Roughly about eight months later, we were ready to move forward with our recommendations. Um, And this is one of many, many key steps that will represent community policing in our community that we call home for all of our citizens that make us in East Lansing. Um, And I'll leave it there. And I just, again, this is is a big, big, big deal um, to each and every one of you uh, being a part of this group. Um, And uh, uh, as the city manager, uh, you know, there's not very many opportunities that we get a chance to really step up for our community on a local and national effort. And I think the work and recommendations that ultimately will be in an ordinance format for the community and oversight for the city of East Lansing uh, will be a template for a lot of municipalities around the country um, and how we got it right. You know, we still have work to do on many areas um, of criminal justice reform, community safety, community policing, uh, public safety, whatever you want to call it. We still got a lot of work to do, but I believe this is one key major step that we can be very, very proud of uh, and be a part of as we see this thing go forward to council and council gets this thing out and rolling and we have a representative commission and a body for this. So I, I just want to say I'm, I'm just humbled to be a part of, uh, of the work um, that has been done over the last eight months. And I'll leave it at that. Um, all right. Uh, so uh, I know I said I wanted to be last. Did anyone else want to say anything else before we co- co- go off into the next part of the agenda? Yes. Uh, Councilmember Bacon, please go ahead. Yeah, and just and just one last thing for all you guys. I, I consider this moment. I'm really proud. I spoke with media outlets today and just my pride in this commission. But I would say we treat this moment a lot like voting. Um, from this moment forward, you know, this is going to be the rule. And we just need you to stay engaged and hold us accountable uh, moving forward. I think that's the key. And I know many of you do. 
already. It's part of your DNA. But I really want to, I think this is important that you guys help us to carry this forward and continue to hold us accountable if it's moving in ways and hopefully many of you participate on the seated board um, moving forward if you see fit. Um, but that's just, that's just the goal. Just continue to hold us accountable, make this, bring this thing to life. Uh, we want it to be a living document and a way of life for East Lansing. And we'll be looking for your support on that part of it to bring it, really bring it to life. And I also want to thank um, Chief Kim and Deputy Chief Gonzalez for participating and putting in a lot of man hours as well. And we just hope, you know, through your officers and, and leadership, uh, we'll bring this to life. Okay. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that clip, but I have Heather Brothers here, an Eli reporter, to break down a bit more in depth what the study committee has done. Um, so Heather, you've been reporting on the study committee for an independent police oversight commission for seven months or so at this point. Mm -hmm. Can you give us some of the greatest hits of the issues they've discussed? So yes, uh, since September. So it's been um, my entire time at Eli. Uh, So I think at first the study committee um, was really conscious about trying to lay out their goals in the beginning and to get input from scholarly research, um, local police, uh, the prosecutor's office, local mental health workers, all kinds of different avenues of information on how policing affects the community. Um, So in the very beginning, it seemed that they, uh, not that they weren't focused, but that they were kind of grappling with all of these different avenues And then pretty quickly, they got a plan in place and they started having meetings um, and presentations from these these people and these groups. And so uh, you could see their kind of mission taking shape. You know, they obviously had a mission from the beginning, but I really think that um, they it, it shaped over time the more information they got. You could see them studying other oversight commissions from across the U.S. and things that worked and things that didn't. Um, And I think that is very clear in the report that they are set to present to council on June 8th. You can see the report or the version of it that was the most current at their last meeting in the agenda, um, in their agenda packet, if you would like to read it. But I think that in the end, they decided to really highlight the importance of restoring public trust in policing and also addressing racial equity issues. And that it's not just about assessing complaints and incidents that occur, you know, with ELPD as they come up, but also having this ability to shape police procedure and culture. And I think that's maybe one of the main points uh, to take away from all of their work is the discussion of, okay, you know, is it just changing uh, one particular policing policy that will do it? Or is it kind of trying to reshape the culture of policing as a whole, as much as they, they can, you know, in our city. So uh, I think that's very clear in the report that they're trying to, you know, look at these really broad kind of sweeping issues and then also want to set up a commission that's going to deal with incidents as they occur. Thank you. So you said that the study group believes that this permanent oversight commission would need to 
restore the community's faith in ELPD? Mm-hmm. Have they discussed specific things that might have eroded public faith in the police department? Yes. Um, yeah, There. so a couple of things uh, that they've talked about over and over again are, Andrew uh, mentioned accountability and also transparency. And this is not just coming from the study committee members themselves and their own experiences and their own knowledge uh, from their various backgrounds, but they had a public meeting where a ton of people attended to, to give their feedback on the police. They conducted a survey of the public. Um, they've read studies from across the U.S., and it seems that uh, public perception of policing is not super positive. Um, and a lot of it comes down to transparency. So that is something that they're trying to get the commission to correct when it is formed. And over the course of their meetings, over you know the last eight months or so, they themselves have run into issues of transparency from the police because the city has liaisons that sit in and the police chief and the deputy chief also sit in on these meetings. So they're present for this. And um, it comes, it's came up a few times that the study committee tried to get information and it seemed that the city, um, you know, withheld information and uh, that they weren't being transparent, even though they say they want to be transparent now. So that's a really important uh, issue moving forward. Great. So you mentioned concerns too about racial equity. And I know from reading your reporting, some troubling statistics came out in the course of the study committee's research. Can you talk a bit about what they found about racial equity and policing in East Lansing? Yeah, so um, yeah, the ELPD statistics themselves came out over the last year from, depending on what what we're looking at from like 2010, like the last decade or so information. And it's pretty clear from the numbers that you know, black residents experience use of force incidents, stops, arrests um, from the police at uh, numbers way higher than other residents and numbers higher um, in terms of like relative to their makeup in our population. So these statistics were alarming to the study committee. Um, I can pull up specifics too if we want to talk about those from different articles, but also the survey that, which is, has its problems um, also showed that there is a a perception that the police do not treat people of color the same as other residents too. So it's not just that, I mean, we have the proof that they maybe don't right in terms of use of force arrests Mm. and stops but also the perception is that they don't take uh, issues of racial equity seriously either. Great. Well, thank you so much for that, Heather. And I want to remind our listeners more information about the statistics about racial equity and policing or the survey about how the community views policing that Heather referred to is available again at our website, eastlansinginfo.news and search East Lansing Policing. And just to remind our listeners, the study committee on an independent police oversight commission will meet this, will give a presentation to city council this Tuesday, June 8th at 7 p.m. And that meeting will stream online and council will hold a discussion on the recommendations made by the study committee 
at its Tuesday, June 15th meeting. And that one also starts at 7 p.m. Um, as some of our listeners may know, the school year for East Lansing Public Schools is wrapping up. And the last school board gave a brief overcap of the past year and what lies ahead for the 2021-2022 school year. Um, more information is available, again, at our website. At the top navigation bar, we have a tab dedicated to schools. But just to let our readers know, the district is looking to hire a diversity, equity, and inclusion coordinator to judge the impact that various reforms in the district have had on students of color. There has also been an effort to address mental health among students. And the district mental health advisory committee recently launched a website, trojanmentalhealthmatters.org. And we've covered that at Eli as well. Thank you for listening. And it was our pleasure to give you this new segment through Impact Radio. East Lansing Insider is brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. We are on the web at eastlansinginfo.news and impact89fm.org. Thanks for listening.